pray with me? Lord, we want to know you more. So we worship you, our King. We are yours, O Lord. And we pray that you would take us on to higher ground. And our hearts resonate with the words of the psalm sung so beautifully just now that the words we speak, every one of which counts, that they would be pleasing and that our thoughts, Lord, would be directed toward you today, that you might have our full attention and our heart's affection. We ask, God, that you would be pleased with our worship in this hour. We ask that you would be pleased in our worship all week long. And I pray that you would start something right now that changes the way we spend the rest of this week. And I ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God is good. All the time. Uh, it's good to be with you today. I, uh, I had plans to go up to the wedding yesterday and had my uh, flights booked and all of that. And um, it was interesting because, uh, once again, twice in a couple of weeks, uh, my best laid plans have been uh, uh, laid aside by uh, airline schedules and uh, delay in the flight, and we were unable to go. But our youngest son was up there at the wedding. He was in Arkansas anyway. And so he stopped by for the wedding, and uh, he got home about 2 o'clock this morning. And so I sort of feel like that, that preacher who, who dreamed he was preaching a sermon, and then he woke up, and he was. And uh, so I'll try to stay awake, and you try to stay awake uh, today. Do you remember the lowest point in your life? You remember that? When was that? Um, is it possible to hit the bottom and fall beyond recovery? I spent uh, some time this week, invited uh, Clois and Pam, took us all out to the movies. Uh, we went to uh, Seven Days in Utopia, that new movie that comes out formerly September 2nd. Reminded again what a great actor Robert Duvall is. But the story of, and I won't ruin the, the movie for you, but the story of it is uh, a young man who's a golfer who has this dream to be a professional golfer and he hits rock bottom and uh, when he thinks nothing can get worse, it gets worse. And the story calls upon him and all of us, I think, to learn to find God's presence in our lives. And when I saw that movie, I thought that's the theme that we've been seeing in the life of Abraham's family. What God really promised them was, I will be with you. I'll be with you, Abraham. I'll be with you, Isaac. I'll be with you, Jacob. And now we come into that fourth generation. We started the novella about Joseph last week, and we saw when we left him that he was in a lot of trouble, that he had been sold by his brothers into slavery. His mother's dead. His father thinks he's dead. Imagine how alone he feels. And times when we are alone can be times when we are greatly tempted and tested. We look at him and think, what would it be like to be utterly alone, to be, to be sold into slavery, but the good news for Joseph and for us is that he was not alone. Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 39? I want to read the first 15 verses uh, with you and then 
We will share a couple of other verses uh, later in the service. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 15. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted, entrusted all his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Thank you. You may be seated. You ever lost the shirt off your back? Joseph does it twice, both times a very painful experience. First, we saw last week that richly ornamented robe. He loses because his brothers resent his father's favoritism. He loses that, but he loses more than that, doesn't he? He loses his freedom. He loses his connection with family. He's out of touch with his father. He's out of touch with his mother. It's not his choice, but he is cut off from them. And anytime we are cut off from our family, we are in a compromised position. At some level, that cutoff leaves him feeling desperately alone. What will he do? How will he handle this situation? And then the writer of Genesis tells us, but he's not alone. Verse 2, the Lord is with him. Verse 5, the Lord is so with him that everybody around starts to notice that the Lord is with him. And in this time of difficulty and temptation, we see as he faces both adversity and then as he rises to the top of Potiphar's household and has measurably some prosperity, that the adversity and the prosperity reveal some things about his soul. They tell us something about him. Now, in these passages, uh, since what we read last week, in the chapter before this, chapter 38, we discover that, that there's this next generation, Judah, who suggests that Joseph be sold into slavery. Judah, who himself succumbs 
to immorality. He loses a couple of sons and he succumbs to immorality and, and he struggles with that. And we wonder, how in the world can Joseph resist this temptation? But what we discover is that the adversity reveals the integrity of his soul. I lost uh, two different uh, jackets through the years. The first time my letter jacket, the only letter jacket I ever earned, I laid it down in the airport where I was working just for a moment and it was gone. The second time a leather jacket, after I came here, some of you remember, I was out hunting with some good friends um, and I was uh, out in Montgomery County and um, it was a long story, I won't go through it again, but I lost my leather jacket that night with my planner and um, a lot of things in it and uh, I remember taking Larry Bertrand with me and we searched for that jacket. We walked up and down those dirt roads looking for that jacket. And when I came home, I was so disappointed. And our son, our older son, who was eight years old at the time, looked at me and he said, did you find it? And I said, no. And he could tell I was really upset about it. And he said, Dad, I, I think that jacket was too important to you. Well, I, you know, I, I think, um, think any time you lose your jacket, it can be a painful experience. But this is what I want to say to you this morning. Adversity and prosperity will tell you something about your soul. You you never know what's really going on in your soul until you experience adversity and prosperity. These two um, parts of life are windows into your soul. C.S. Lewis used to say, if you want to know whether or not you have rats in your basement, we don't have basements in Houston, but, but play along with me. If you want to know if you have rats in your basement, what you don't do is stand at the top of the stairs, um, clear your throat, jiggle the door, open the door, throw on the light, and walk casually down the stairs and look around and say, oh, I don't have any rats in my house. No. If you want to know whether you have rats in your house, then you, then you open the door turn on the light and jump to the bottom of the stairs and they'll be scurrying around. Then you'll know you have rats in your house. Well, both adversity and prosperity, Tim Keller says, help us to jump to the bottom of our hearts and we find out what is really there. And we see integrity in Joseph's life. He is able to triumph over temptation because and only because he lives with an awareness of the presence of God. He is living, as Dallas Willard says, a with God kind of life. Remember Augustine's prayer, O beauty so ancient and so new, you were always with me, but I was not always with you. Are we with God? Joseph is able, we are able to triumph over temptation when we focus on God. I'm speaking about a relationship of intimacy with God that empowers us to see his presence when things are going well. And by the way, that's hard. And to see his presence when things are not going well. To to find God with us when we are suffering. To find God with us when we are successful. To know that God is with us. And so in verse 2 it says God was with Joseph. And in verse 5 God was with Joseph. And even when he resists temptation and he's thrown into prison. In verses 21 and 23 it says the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph, but you want to see how God's presence changes his behavior. It's there in verse 9 when Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him and he says, you know what, I need to be loyal to my master because he's entrusted a lot to me. And even more importantly, he says, I need to be loyal to my master because there is a master greater than my master. There is a God and I must be pleasing to him. And so I don't want to do anything 
I don't want to do anything. God's been too good to me. I don't want to grieve God. Now, there's been a shift culturally about um, sensual things, I think, in my lifetime. And I think you can see it reflected in the sort of downward spiral of television in our world. One mother uh, put on Facebook recently, I uh, have been listening to what my kids are, are listening to on the TV. I haven't watched it, she said, but I'm about to turn it off because I don't want to hear it anymore. And the truth is there's this sort of downward spiral and it sort of reflects the, 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 the culture around us. And, and what we see is that um, if we saw this scene on TV, of course the young man would succumb because that's what people do in Hollywood. That's what they do on the screen. That's what they do in their real lives in many cases. We've heard about politicians. We've heard about entertainers. We've heard about sports figures. We've heard about pastors. We've heard about religious figures in our world, all of whom have succumbed to this very temptation. So this is incredibly relevant for us today. And this shift in uh, morality in our culture puts us in a situation where we wonder, can anybody really triumph over temptation? But listen to what he says in verse 9. How could I commit this sin against God? Now, this would be a problem, he says, in my relationship with my master, obviously. But the real real reason I can't sin is because God is with me, and he focuses on the presence of God. I remember years ago, I was in a graduate seminar in a, um, the English department. I did part of my graduate work in English. And while I was there, one of the young men in that classroom said, if another person offers intimacy to another person, he said specifically, if a woman offers intimacy to a man, that man will not be able to resist that temptation. Joseph says, that's not true. That actually it is possible to resist temptation. And if you wonder how we resist temptation, let me just put it in Joseph's life terms. David Haig has written a book where he talks about the the challenge of uh, purity in an impure world. And he tells about a friend of his who says, you know, um, I've been dating this woman. I've been engaged to her for however long. We're not married, but but, um, immorality with her uh, is inevitable. It's inevitable. There's no way I can resist immorality. And his friend said to him, so, okay, the next time that you're tempted to intimacy with your girlfriend, what if I pulled out my wallet and gave you 10 $100 bills? Would you be able, if, and I said, okay, n- now you resist immorality. He said, well, I'd take the money. He said, so what you're really telling me is that you have a greater passion for money than you do for intimacy. And says, he said, the reality is you've got to find a greater passion for something than you do for sin. And that someone is God. And Joseph has that down. How could I do this wicked thing against God? Look, crime is against society, but sin is against God. And we don't want to live a life against God. We want to live a life with God. And because he's living with God, he knows that God is for him. And he also knows that God can enable him. God is able to enable him. How do we know that? Well, listen, if God was with Joseph, how much more is he with you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's not just that God is with you. It's that God is in you. Imagine that. I mean, if I, were, if I had Matt Schaub in me, I think I could throw a football. If, if I had uh, Roy Oswalt in me, I have to go back to old Astros players, don't I? 
If I had Roy Oswalt in me, I could throw a fastball. What does it mean that the one who overcame temptation lives in us? Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Why? Because he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. I remember when I was in college, there was a controversial movie called The Last Temptation of Christ. It should have been controversial. It was problematic. It had the audacity to say that Jesus Christ was tempted to immorality. Now, that part of the movie is actually true. If he was tempted in every way we are, he was surely tempted to lust. But here's what I want you to see. This is where the movie goes awry. It has Jesus meditating on that and thinking about that and then ultimately choosing not to give in to that, not to come down from the cross and have a relationship with Mary Magdalene. And that's, that's the movie and that's why it's controversial. But the idea that Jesus was tempted is a biblical idea. And here's the good news about it. It's not only good news for him that he never sinned, it's good news for us that he never sinned because that means in the moment of temptation, here's the rest of Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, Let us then come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because he will help us. Because he will give us grace and mercy in our time of need. Immorality is not inevitable. Paul ran into that with the church at Corinth. And he says to them, I I see that you think the stomach is for food and the food is for stomach. Their, Their real point was, I was made for immorality. He says, but you were not made for immorality. You were made for God. Colossians chapter one. All things were made by him. All things were made for him. 1 Corinthians 6, glorify God, not just with your spirits, but with your bodies, which belong to God. We belong to him. And he enables us to triumph over temptation just by by practicing his presence, by living constantly in his presence. And then we triumph over temptation as this passage teaches us as we not only focus on the Savior, but as we flee from sin. John Piper says, in that moment when you're tempted, envision Jesus Christ on the cross dying for your sins. It is a great incentive not to sin. Focus on the Savior, but then flee from sin. What does Joseph do? In verses 10 to 12, it says after he says no, day after day. Have you noticed temptation is daily? Uh, Even uh, Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness, it says Satan leaves for a season. But he comes back. Why? Because he always comes back. Because he knows what's going on in our lives. And here's the thing. This is the original lie to Adam and Eve. God is, is, is not letting you in on something. God is, is not letting you experience all the good things he wants you to. That's Satan's lie. And And Joseph could have believed that. He's a single person. We are created as sexual persons. I mean, he he is surely tempted. And day after day, this temptation comes back to him. And yet, in the midst of that, he is able to stand strong for Christ, for God, because he runs away. He runs away from that. The analogy has been made that if you uh, had a bee flying around you, we had a lot of those out in Paisano, by the way, one when I was trying to preach, which is a bit distracting. And, um, and if you want to get rid of a bee, you don't just shoo it away because inevitably it comes back. Now, if you shoo a butterfly, it'll go away. But if you open up a bottle, an old bottle of Coke that's empty or almost empty, and you open it up, what will the bee do? It will fly in that bottle. You can put the lid on it. And that bee will spend the rest of the day, indeed the rest of its life, drinking one last Coke. And why do you do that? Not because you're worried that that bee doesn't know what Coke tastes like, but because you don't like the bee. 
and you want to capture it and control it. And temptation is very much like that. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not really worried that we're missing out on the good things of God. What he really wants is to capture and control our lives and to sideline us from the work that God intended for us to do. And that is the challenge of temptation, to realize that's why he's working in that way in our lives. And so when we learn that, then we're able to flee from immorality. If you think it's just Joseph, go again to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from immorality. Every other sin is outside a person's body, but immorality is a sin against your body. And what he says is you have the power in Christ to run away. Why? Go back earlier in it, and he says, because the risen Lord lives in you. This is our power to overcome temptation. There was a Time Magazine article recently that talked about how many powerful figures have succumbed to this very sin, and it asked the question, why do people live that way? Well, people live that way because they yield to that temptation, and if we will flee from it, if we will run from it, we will find God's strength to overcome it. They tell in Alabama a story about one of Bear Bryant's teams that was up by one point in a big game, and Um, He sent in his third-string quarterback who was supposed to take a knee. But the third-string quarterback, who was not a great athlete, thought he saw something in the defense. And this was his one moment of glory. He was going to make a touchdown. He was going to throw a touchdown. And so um, he called an audible at the line. His receiver went out, and uh, he threw the ball. He thought right to the receiver. But the fastest guy on the other team caught the ball and started running the other way for a touchdown. And would you believe it? True story, that quarterback ran that fastest player on the other team down, caught him from behind and tackled him, and Alabama won the game. Well, afterward, in the press conference, they asked uh, Bear Bryant, they said, we don't understand how your third-string quarterback could catch the fastest cornerback on the other team. He said, that's easy. He said, that cornerback, he was running for a touchdown. He was running to win the game. But my man, he was running for his life. (laughs) And when you and I resist temptation, we are running for our spiritual lives without going into great detail. I remember when I was in high school and the first time I realized this temptation and and walked out of a house and literally ran all the way home. I wasn't thinking about the story, but I was thinking about this is for my spiritual life, that I must live a life of purity. And uh, I'd like to say to you that uh, temptations are behind me. But the truth is, any one of us can, can sin in any way that anybody else has ever sinned. And if we think any differently, then we're in trouble. Gordon MacDonald, who fell to this very sin, said, the one sin I never thought I would commit was that sin. I never, ever thought. He said, I don't know how I'll fall, but I won't fall that way. And that is precisely the way that he fell. Because if anybody thinks that they cannot stumble, the Bible says, think again, take heed, lest you fall. So flee from temptation. You say, but where do we run? Well, we, we run to God. We run to him. See, when we sin, what are we tempted to do? To run away from God. It's Adam and Eve. I've got to hide from God. But the gospel tells us we don't run from God. Why? Because God is with us. He's with us when we resist temptation. He is with us when we sin, even when we fail. And the lie is that we should run away from him. Look, here's the word, flee from temptation. That word in Greek, fugo, gives us our word fugitive. You know what it means? It means either you're a fugitive from God or you're a fugitive from sin. You either run away from God into sin or you run away from sin into God. 
And even when we have sinned, we run into the arms of God and find his grace. Eugene Peterson tells about a young woman who became a member of his church and she was living with her boyfriend, but she came and joined the church. And he he thought, you know, at some point she's going to realize this is not right. But months passed and she didn't seem to realize in our culture that's sort of thought of as okay. And at one point he just blurted out, he said, I think the Lord wants you to live celibate until you get married. And she said, why in the world would God want me to do that? And he said, because that's the way God has designed life to be. There's celibacy before marriage. And, and when she heard that, she thought about it and prayed about it. And she went home and told her boyfriend. He moved out within the week. And for six months, she practiced celibacy. And she came back to him and she said, you were right. I have never felt as free in my life. And he said he remembered the day when he presided over her wedding with her fiance. Some two years later, she had kept that commitment to God. Lest you think it's inevitable, the scripture says it is absolutely possible. By the grace of God, we can, we can have a wide world and a narrow bed. We can do what God has called us to do. And so we see in Joseph's life this great escape. Why? Because he, he's aware of God's presence because he runs from sin. And at the end of that movie that we saw this week on Thursday night, um, Robert Duvall teaches this young man these three truths, and I want to leave you with them today. First of all, he says, see the face of God. Wherever you are, see the face of God. Second of all, feel his presence. And third, trust his love. So if you say to me, but pastor, I've been tempted this week. And I've not been successful. I've not overcome temptation. I know what Jesus means when he says to Satan, or he says to Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, because I've got that kind of sifted feeling this week. And here's my word to you. The grace of God is greater even than our sin. So we have strength to resist temptation. But we also have forgiveness from God as we trust in him and seek him, we find his forgiveness and then the strength. Listen, victory not only, not only over the penalty of sin, but also over the power of sin going forward. This is the grace of God, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus who never sinned, took the penalty for our sins so that he could empower us to overcome sin. Father, for that person who is facing temptation, I pray for great strength right now. You're the only one who reads our email. You know what's going on in our lives. Nothing is hidden from you. And Lord, for that person this morning who says, I've made mistakes, and a sermon like this brings great shame and guilt, just considering this text, I pray, God, that you would confirm the truth of the gospel in our lives, that we are sinners saved by grace, that we are all sinners, that, that none of us is in the place to judge any other because we too are sinners. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would empower us today to experience your victory over sin. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.